This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is not your century. This is not your century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. March 13, 1922. The third manslaughter trial of Roscoe Arbuckle begins in San Francisco. The next day's Chronicle predicts the trial will be a long, drawn-out affair, but it's only going to last for a little over a month, and it's going to end with astonishing swiftness. This case is Hollywood's first blockbuster scandal, the early 20s version of O.J. Simpson, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein. Roscoe Arbuckle is better known as Fatty Arbuckle. He's a huge movie star in more ways than one. He's known for his girth. He weighs about 270 pounds, but that size combined with a baby face and a dancer's agility have made him the biggest name in silent comedies. He was Hollywood's first million-dollar star. He helped launch the careers of Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin those giant clownish trousers that Chaplin wore when he played the Little Tramp, they were just a regular pair of Fatty Arbuckle's pants. His troubles began on Labor Day weekend, 1921. Exhausted from a stretch of intense filming, Arbuckle and two friends drove up from Los Angeles to San Francisco and checked into the St. Francis Hotel, where they launched a three-day party. It was a running affair, with food on a buffet table, and plenty of bootleg liquor. This was a year and a half into Prohibition. It was pretty wild, even by Hollywood standards. On the third day, Labor Day, the party was interrupted by screaming coming from Arbuckle's room. Several people rushed over, and they found Virginia Rappé on the bed in agony. Almost everything else in this story has been the subject of some dispute for almost a century. Rappé was a 26-year-old artist, model, and aspiring actress. She'd had bit parts in a few small films. One of her friends, Maud Bambina Delmont, said that Rappé said, He did this to me, meaning Arbuckle. Rappé was taken to the hospital, and she died a few days later. By that time, Arbuckle was back home in L.A., and he was stunned to be arrested. Wild rumors had been flying that Arbuckle had raped her with a Coke bottle and that her death, from peritonitis caused by a ruptured bladder, was the result of Arbuckle's weight as he raped her. Arbuckle said he was innocent. He said he'd gone back to his room from the party to change his clothes so he could give a friend a ride somewhere, and he'd found Repé on the bathroom floor. He carried her to the bed and asked other guests to look after her. He just thought she was drunk. The newspapers had a field day with the scandal, especially William Randolph Hearst's San Francisco Examiner. The Hearst Corporation now owns the Chronicle. San Francisco District Attorney Matthew Brady was a big fan of the spotlight, and while the charge was reduced to manslaughter, he threw everything he had at Arbuckle during the trial. He called 96 witnesses. It didn't work. The jury mostly didn't buy his theory of the case. 
That was thanks in part to his unwillingness or inability to produce his star witness, Maud Delmont, who it turns out had a long criminal record, including extortion. It also came out during the trial that Rappé had a medical condition that caused her tremendous pain when she drank alcohol, but she drank anyway. The hotel doctor testified that he found no evidence she'd been raped. It also didn't hurt that when Arbuckle testified in his own defense, he came across in the way that people who knew him universally described him. Shy, humble, earnest, sincere. The jury was deadlocked with the vote 10 to 2 for acquittal, and a mistrial was declared. In a second trial, the defense attorney, Gavin McNabb, may have gotten overconfident. He thought the prosecution's case was frankly ridiculous so he barely put up a defense, and he didn't call Arbuckle to the stand. The jury deadlocked again, but this time the final vote was 10-2 to for conviction. Brady refiled the manslaughter charge. In this third trial, McNabb put Arbuckle on the stand, and this time, for the first time, he attacked Virginia Rappé's character, accusing her of having worked as a prostitute. On April 12th, the jury began deliberations and ended them. They were out for six minutes, and five of those were spent drafting an apology to Arbuckle, which was read in court. It was an unprecedented moment. It read, in part, Acquittal is not enough for Roscoe Arbuckle. We feel that a great injustice has been done him. There was not the slightest proof to connect him in any way with the commission of a crime. But exoneration wasn't enough either. Hollywood's new censorship board, headed by Will Hayes, ordered distributors not to show Fatty Arbuckle movies. That order was lifted after a while, but the damage was done. Fatty had been acquitted, but he was still a symbol of Hollywood's immorality and decadence. He couldn't get work for a decade, except the occasional job under a pseudonym, William Goodrich. Buster Keaton and other friends supported him financially. He retreated to alcoholism. Unfortunately for movie history, most of his films were destroyed. Finally, in 1932, Jack Warner signed him to make a series of two real comedies for Vitaphone. They were hits, and they're the only recordings we have of Fatty Arbuckle's voice. Oh, certainly, Inez. Well, that's, that's an eye with a hook on each end. I, I beg your pardon. Take a little time, I have to make it up special. In June of 1933, he signed a contract with Warner Brothers to return to feature films. That very night, he died of a massive heart attack. Fatty Arbuckle, Roscoe Arbuckle, was 46. I'm King Kaufman, and this has been Not Your Century, a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Some music in this episode is by Kevin McLeod, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. His music is at incompetech.com. Get great journalism today and support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com pod. We now return you to your century.